I'm Amber Harper from the Burned In Teacher Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Barbara R. Blackburn. That's right. She's back and she's got another extremely timely and practical book. This one's called Leadership for Remote Learning Strategies for Success. You're going to love this book. It's going to help you come up with all kinds of ideas to deal with the world that you're, you have right now. Great stuff. Thanks for listening. Oh, by the way, it would be so awesome if you opened that app that you're listening to me on, went in there, rated, reviewed, and subscribed. Could you? Come on, please. <laughs> Thanks. Take care now. Enjoy. Wouldn't it be great to have a day to renew, rethink, and reboot in these unprecedented times? That's the mission of the Impact Summit. This will be a moving forward, next day implementable, every learner can be successful kind of day. Register your team today at impacteducationsummit.com. The date, June 23rd. The organizer is Susie Pepper Rollins, three-time author and national presenter. Just head to impacteducationsummit.com for details. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading, K-12 podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Barbara R. Blackburn, named a top 30 global guru in education, has dedicated her life to raising the level of rigor and motivation for professional educators and students alike. What differentiates Barbara's over 25 books are her easily executable concrete examples based on decades of experience as a teacher, professor, and consultant. Barbara's dedication to education was inspired in her early years by her parents. Her father's doctorate and lifetime career as a professor taught her the importance of professional training. Her mother's career as a school secretary shaped Barbara's appreciation of the effort all staff play in the education of every student. Barbara has taught early childhood, elementary, middle, and high school students and has served as an educational consultant for three publishing companies. She holds a master's degree in school administration and was certified as a teacher and school principal in North Carolina. She received her PhD in career curriculum and teaching from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. In 2006, she received the award for outstanding junior professor at Winthrop University. She left her position at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte to write and speak full-time. In addition to speaking at state, national, and international conferences, she regularly presents workshops for teachers and administrators in elementary, middle, and high schools. Her workshops are lively and engaging and filled with practical information. Her most popular seminars include Rigor is Not a Four-Letter Word, my all-time favorite title, Rigorous Schools and Classrooms Leading the Way, Rigorous Assessments, Differentiating Instruction Without Lessening Rigor in Your Classroom, Motivation Plus Engagement Plus Rigor Equals Student Success, Rigor for Students with Special Needs, Motivating Struggling Students, and Rigor in the Remote Learning Classroom. Barbara can be reached through her website, barbarablackburnonline.com. Today, we're focused on Barbara's latest written with uh, Ronald Williamson called Leadership for Remote Learning, Strategies for Success. Barbara, thanks for joining me today, and great to have you back on the show. Say hi to everyone. Oh, hello, everyone. And as always, I, I love being here. Um, it's just always so much fun to get to share information with your listeners. Well, I'm glad you're here, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about today, and uh, um, just as a note, I always uh, chuckle because I, 
my all-time favorite book title is <laughs> rigor is not a four-letter word so i just got to tell you you don't know how many people tell i tell about your book title so. oh yeah uh that that's actually one of my favorites in my very first book that it was an alphabetical book and that was chapter r and i, I do remember one time i had a teacher come up to me a younger teacher and she said um why would you say rigor's not a four-letter word? Everybody knows it's five letters. <laughs> and I had to explain the whole four-letter word. <laughs> nice. Well, the great thing is, in the, in the book just explains it just so well. And you know, I know we're not here to talk about that today, but I do have to tell you that as, that is easily the, the first, you know, first of all, it's easy to remember title because what it says. And people go, uh, so anyway, it works for good advertisement for you because <laughs> I've shared a lot. So, uh, you know, well, today we're going to talk about leadership for remote learning strategies for success, which is your latest written with Ronald Williamson. What inspired you to write a leadership book for the remote world? Well, uh, it's interesting. Ron and I have written uh, for, gosh, 10 years. Uh, he was actually one of my professors when I was getting my doctorate. And uh, so his specialty is in leadership. And we started writing together about rigor and leadership. Um, and it was rigor schools and classrooms leading the way. And so we've written several books together. And uh, last year, early in the year, I wrote, uh, we, we did a show on this, we, I did uh, rigor in the remote learning classroom. And I was talking to him one day and he said, you know, one day he said, what have you been doing? And I told him that and he said, well, you know, we need to write one on leadership and because that's what we do together. And I said, oh, sure, we can do that. <laughs> so it took us maybe a day to outline it and get started on it. And so, you know, we got it ready pretty quickly and it was released uh, in January. So, uh, you know, well, I guess right after Christmas. So it hasn't been out that long, but it's, it's such a natural fit. And uh, we had some basics in terms of, we knew that we needed to deal with culture. We knew we needed to deal with how professional development was different. Um, so those are some things we had dealt with in earlier books, but we have also written a lot of articles and based on feedback we get from leaders. So we knew, for example, that one of the things we needed to deal with was how do you work with a limited budget? Um, you know, how do you deal with equity? Uh, you know, because that's such a big issue. So uh, it, it was easy to come up with the content because we were hearing so much from educational leaders. Well, that's excellent because it's, you know, first of all, timeliness. Yes, very much so. And because uh, right now, anybody getting you know, in a leadership position is going, I need help and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, help me, please. You know? yeah. So good, great timing. The, uh, you know, so let's, let's dive into the book. And uh, in the first chapter, you note, the swift transition to remote learning revealed lots of challenges. Could you talk a little bit about why it's important for the school leader to understand some of these challenges, especially the ones that interfere with any of the best laid plans? Well, I think if we don't understand the challenges, then we can't deal with them. Um, and so equity, let's, let's go back to that as an issue. Uh, everybody anticipated equity be, would be an issue. What they didn't anticipate was what that would look like. Um, so, you know, okay, we know we're going to have kids who don't have computers. So we've got to deal with that. We'll send computers home. You know, that was as challenging as that was from a resource issue. That was actually an easy one. Um, then we sort of knew 
that internet access was going to be an issue. I don't think we fully understood what that was going to look like. So we had to deal with that. But what we didn't think about was there would be issues like uh, timing. Uh, we're gonna do a live session in the morning and if they're first graders, then there'll be somebody to help them. Well, not if mom's working three jobs. Uh, there's nobody in the building to help them. Uh, maybe there's not an older sibling. So how do we deal with that? If we do a live session, what do we do with two parents? Maybe it's not even an income issue, but we've got two parents who are working nine to five. And when they can do it with their son or daughter is at seven o'clock at night. So what do we do with that? So it became this whole issue of, do we record them? Do we not record them? How do we record them in a way that still makes it valuable for the students? Um, I had a friend of mine, uh, her equity issue, and she totally was not anticipating this. And she's a college professor who works with teachers. And she was stunned to realize this was an issue. Her second grader uh, had a computer, you know, they, they started working on a computer. But uh, he had never worked on a computer, everything had been touchscreen. And so what do you do in terms of how that is a hindrance for learning? when you've never actually done much with the keyboard, so you don't know how to use that effectively. The other thing was that in many cases, we didn't think about the equity issue with teachers. We thought about the equity issue with students. And so you had teachers who the computer at home was maybe not as speedy as they needed, or they had internet access, but it wasn't as powerful as they needed or you know they just didn't have the setup at home they had their own kids and their own kids were using the computer so how are they supposed to use the computer and so i had another friend when the school was giving out computers for the kids to use she didn't want to take one for her uh children but that was the only way they were going to be able to do their their work while she did hers as a teacher and so we, we hit these equity issues that we were not anticipating. And so from a change perspective, if I don't understand all those aspects, I can't even begin to deal with them. That's so right. I mean, that's, if, it's, there's just so many things happening. And uh, if you don't have any sort of basic understanding, <laughs> you know, it's, um, we joke about, uh, in, you know, in school positions and system positions that, you know, you start off with a lot more hair than you end up with. And, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> that causes it cause even more big you know, issues, a lot less, I guess, <laughs> to deal with this. Uh, it, you know, it's just uh, the, the number of challenges that showed up right off the bat were amazing. I mean, we, you end up with, uh, people saying, well, of course we expect you to uh, hold school. Well, no, we're going to, Close school. Now we're going to do remote learning. And so what's that mean? Remote learning means, uh, oh, we're going to have some kids online while the teacher's in class and some kids are going to be in the class at the same time. While, and, then, and then others went, oh, well, is that going to work? You know, and I mean, there, there was any number of things because then they started going, well, no, I think remote learning is really going to mean that we're going to, have to do that separately. And, and uh, you know, and then things happened like we got to have a graduation. What about prom? What about, you know, that's a big discussion right now, by the way. Right. Right. Well, and it's not even just the pandemic. Uh, I was talking with a parent uh, the other day who was frustrated because they had just been going back to school and they were frustrated that uh, they were having a snow day um, because they didn't feel like the snow was an issue 
um, they were like, the main roads are fine, the secondary roads are fine. And uh, they said, but we're having a snow day. And so we're doing, we're back to remote learning, uh, which is something, by the way, that schools are really looking at long term, is right. we get to save those days. But the issue was, because superintendent finally came out with a statement and said, if you think we should be going back to school, then you need to drive to your local school and look at the parking lot. Because the issue was the parking lots many, in many cases were shaded. So they were covered with ice. Wow. So it wasn't the roads, it was the parking lot. And what do you do in that kind of a situation? So they went to remote learning. So, you know, those are the kinds of things <laughs> that I think we're gonna continue to deal with. I don't think they're gonna go away when the pandemic is over. Um, and just helping people understand what those issues are, but we have to understand those issues. Because if I'm going, well, I don't understand because my parking lot's fine. If I don't understand what's going on in the other schools, then I can't have a coherent conversation with my parents. You know, that's a great point. And I, I, gotta, I gotta say this real quick, because I, I know there's an audio <laughs> podcast, but people may have heard me kind of have a little funny laugh in the tone of my voice, because, you know, you just brought up something that all of a sudden, the problem with this virtual and remote world could be that it totally ruins snow days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that cat's out of the bag now, man. <laughs> That's not good. That's, you're going to have this whole rise up from the kids going, no, we demand to have a snow day. It's a real snow day. It is. And people have talked about that. But for example, I know that Ron talked to some school districts that are in the Northern and, and particularly the Northern Western area and they've said, you know, sometimes we've had issues where we're out of school two weeks. And this can be a really good solution for us. So I, I do think um, that there's things we haven't thought about. I think it's driving some change. But I work with a lot of um, schools and districts in Australia. And we were doing a, a webinar series on this. And what they said was, you know, for us, it's not as much the pandemic. They've had some issues, but nothing like what we've dealt with. But they said, part of what we've got is schools that are so remote that we needed a way to deal with that. There's just physically so much distance. And we see this as a good option there. And so I do think that over time, and as we get better at it, I think there are going to be some uses we are not anticipating. I think you're right. I think, I think you're so right. And it's just, uh, it's, it's gonna, the more we use it, the better, more comfortable we get. And I mean, just one of the things I think is funny is that uh, the number of leaders now that, because uh, I started using Zoom for my podcast a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, lots of people I'd switched from Skype over to, to Zoom. By the way, nobody sponsors this podcast. <laughs> Neither <laughs> of these companies sponsor this podcast. So this, this is not product brand placement here. Um, the, uh, but it, uh, you know, it had, uh, um, what was interesting was, uh, um, you know, it, people would be, they, they didn't know how to use it. They, you know, I'd have to explain to them, all you do is click the link when it comes to you and stuff like this. Well, now what's happened is, I mean, I think just about everybody's used to how to use some of these online platforms, whether it's Zoom, Google Meets, uh, um, or, uh, or Microsoft Windows Meets or whatever it, um, that's called. And, you know, there's just any number of programs out there besides those that now have become old hat to people. Matter of fact, they're kind of like, yeah, 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 I got this. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and one of the positive things is, 
that it has broadened our expertise. Um, I'll give you, it did it like we were flying the plane while we were still working on the landing gear, <laughs> but um, it has broadened our expertise in some ways. Uh, for example, I still think that in many cases, face-to-face -face meetings are great. But I've also got to tell you, there's a heck of a lot of times where a Zoom meeting is really good. And I, I'm with you, it can be Microsoft Teams or whatever else, but, you know, doing a video chat, uh, particularly I like them with smaller groups because you can see everybody's face. Uh, don't particularly like them with 30 or 40 people, but I just took a class and it meant that, I mean, one, forget all the safety stuff with COVID. It meant that uh, people who normally would have to drive 45 minutes in and would not be able to participate were able to participate. And one of the things that I found when I was teaching graduate students, so that's been, that's been a while back, um, was that sometimes you had people who would um, be more responsive and would answer more questions on a video chat because it was just safer for them sometimes. And uh, they would answer in a chat because they could really reflect and put their answers in a chat. And then I could pull off that. And a lot of times I wouldn't have been able to get that in a regular classroom. So I, I think we are finding that there are some ways to use it in a really positive manner. I just think we're still learning it. I think you're right. I think you're right. But it's, it's definitely become a thing. And I got to tell you, I've, I, I enjoy it now. I, I do have, <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Um, there's got to be some illness that's going to be attached to the, the word Zoom and uh, <laughs> online meeting at some <laughs> point, uh, if not already, but, uh, you know, Zoom weariness or something. But it's like, uh, um, even though that does happen, I still prefer, I, I, if people want to talk with me, I'll say, hey, can you send me a link and let's, let's just talk that way across the, you know, a computer face-to-face -face like that. And, uh, and I, I like that a hundred times better than sitting on the phone. But, uh, well, and, and it's really, uh, my husband and I, it's been real nice for us because one of his high school friends um, who he stays connected with and when we see them, which is once every maybe three years because they don't live anywhere close to us, we now are able to connect via Zoom. And there is something to be said for the video connection versus just the audio. And we really have been able to, uh, to reconnect in a way that we wouldn't have been able to. And like I said, I took a class and that was nice. So I, I, think, I think there are some ways um, that we will continue to be able to do so. Like I love the idea that if I wanna work on assessments and ensuring that uh, teachers across the board are assessing in a fair and equitable manner. Uh, I can meet with my teachers in my school, but that doesn't ensure that we are equitable across the district. So what I can do is say, okay, each school uh, is going to pick a representative from, we're going to start with fourth grade. Um, that fourth grade representative is going to work with the fourth grade teachers then that representative is going to come on a video meeting and we're going to talk across schools sharing what we've heard from our school and we're going to come up with some things that are equitable across the board then we're going to go back and do those with our teachers you couldn't do that easily 
uh, when you're trying to get people face to face because I need to get them before the school day's over, but it's going to take them time to drive in. And how am I, am I going to cover for them so they get to leave early? Am I going to have to pay for a sub so they come in? And all of those issues go away when you do uh, some kind of video chat. And, and again, there's so many options out there that, you know, you can find something. I mean, this isn't hard. You can find something that works for you. And so I'm seeing the potential of those kinds of things. Oh, that's excellent. That's, and it's, there's so much potential there. It's good stuff. Let, let's talk about something else you, you, you talk about early in the book, which is, you know, uh, the school leader needs to create a sense of urgency uh, around uh, um, this remote learning. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, one thing is, I used to talk about how do you create the sense of urgency? And frankly, you don't have to do that with this. <laughs> the urgency is there. We are there, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're there already. Um, but there are things that as a leader, we need to do. And one of the things is we need to prioritize the things that are urgent. So sometimes we get so caught up in the, you know, trivial, you know, well, I said I needed to send out uh, an email every day, so I've got to do that. Well, okay, but what are you going to do with it? Um, and is that what you need to do? Or do you need to find a way to connect with every individual teacher or small groups of teachers about whatever your issue is, maybe parent communication, because we're having issues with that. So uh, that may not be best dealt with with an, e with an email. And the fact that you just said you were going to send an email may or may not be urgent. So what may be urgent is that you prioritize family partnerships right now. And you do that maybe through the email. You do that through a video chat. You do that through a video message that you post so that they can see. You do that by sharing ideas, having teachers share ideas with each other. So how do you prioritize the urgent and make that visible to teachers so they know that you think it's important? And frankly, if they think that it's important to you, then it's going to become important to them. So how do you act on the urgent versus things that just pop up, you know? And so that becomes an issue. It's as simple as maybe the urgency is that you are now doing video observations, okay? And whether that is screenshotting lessons or, you know, sitting in on, on a WebEx live presentation, no matter what it is, you are observing. Well, instead of just observing for 20 things, because right now I just don't think we ought to be doing that, maybe we prioritize and we say, okay, what is most urgent right now is how are we, we reaching those hard to reach students? What are we doing in terms of scaffolding to reach the struggling students? Okay, if that's what's urgent, pay attention to that. And if you need to write a sentence about some other stuff because it's standard, go for it, but pay attention to that. And so when we act with urgency, then we send that message to everybody else. That, that's excellent because, you know, it's a, a big part of um, changing environments is, is centered around creating a sense of urgency that, you know, we got to move on this. And, and uh, I, I, I like this area where you get into this because, uh, you know, it, it, others have to feel what you're talking about, why this is of, of concern and such. And, and that kind of brings me to this next part, which you, you get into a couple different times in the book, which is, you know, one of the things that's going to happen along the way when you're, when you're 
for a leader is you're going to run into naysayers or difficult mm-hmm. staff members. Can you just talk about, you know, the leader and the difficult staff member? Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, if you've got difficult staff members, you're not alone. You know, everybody <laughs> does. There's, yeah. there's research that shows that in any school, you get five to 10% of people that are on board with you. Doesn't matter what you ask them to do. They're going to do it. You got five to 10% that it doesn't matter what you ask them to do. They're not going to do it. And then you've got this 80 to 90% in the middle. And that's where you really need to spend your time. So then what does that mean you do with these overly resistant naysayers who just, it doesn't matter. Honest to goodness, you could ask them what their name is and they would (laughs) complain about it. You know, I'm talking about those folks. Um, The one thing is don't spend too much time on, you know, you're not going to, you're not really not going to get anywhere. So you do need to at least pay attention to them because if you don't, they're going to get into mischief. But don't spend too much time because you'll spend all your time on them. And then you can't make a difference with that 80 to 90% in the middle. So again, don't waste your time, but at least pay attention to them enough that you're aware of what they're doing and you don't want them. If you don't pay attention to them, they'll start getting everybody else on board. So you got to pay attention to them. But one of the things that I think is most effective is to distract them. So give them a task that honest to goodness isn't going to make or break anything that'll take up their time. But you know what, if they don't do it right, or if they do something, you know, offbeat, it isn't going to make a difference to the school. So that's one way to do it. The other thing to do when I talk about don't distracting, and I actually love this. I talk about this all the time with professional development, but I think these days it works with any kind of meeting. Uh, a lot of these people are always going to be raising the objections in the meetings and they're going to want to take over. And so what I recommend is when they start to do that, say, you know what? Um, appreciate your point. What I want everybody to do, uh, I'm going to send you to breakout rooms and I want you to talk about this a little bit and send them to a breakout room that it's them and maybe only one or two other people that are also problem folks. And then you pull people back and instead of letting it just be volunteers, you talk to people from different breakout rooms. And what happens is you've diffused them and that's helpful. And you may have to do that multiple times. It may be as simple as, you know what, I I love your perspective, but I really want to make sure some other people are are involved. But, and then you mute them, (laughs) you mute them and you go to another person. And so again, that's sort of the joy of video meetings. (laughs) (laughs) Do that all the time, but, but you you know, get them um, sort of out of the picture by distracting them into something else. And it could be as simple as saying, you know, if you've said to me, well, I don't understand why we're doing this because I think you need to think about this. And you know what? Uh, one of the things that is helpful that you always provide, Steve, is that you are always coming up with what could be possible objections. So what I want you to do while we're still talking is I want you to sit there and jot down what you think those are. And I'm going to mute you so that other people have time to talk, but I want you to go ahead and make that list. And afterward, I want you to make sure you get that to me so I can, I can provide answers to those things. And so it's distracting, but it's also silencing. And so those, and honestly, they are tiring to do those kinds of things. And it'll wear you out, but it'll let you accomplish what you need to accomplish. It's awesome. And I got to tell you, that's, I, I love the fact that you've included advice on this because that's, that's a big part of it because there's so much, there's, there's so much out there that's, uh, that's coming at a leader to try and uh, 
tell them what to do, redirect them, uh, focus them on something other than what, you know, they're really trying to focus on, which is figuring out how to have school for kids and, uh, and then make it a success <laughs> for right. the kids. And, uh, and then in the meantime, then you've got part of your staff that's like uh, tugging on the rope. You know, if there's two directions the rope's going, that suddenly they found a new way of pulling it a third way. And, uh, and you're like, okay. And you just need advice on how to deal with that. And I, I you know, it's funny, you, you make me think about uh, before the remote world and all that stuff, it, having been a change agent going into schools, to, uh, to change whatever it was that I was looking at changing and uh, that needed changing from the system level. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I'll never forget going in and I, a brand new faculty, you know, I, I would meet with the, the staff throughout the summer so they would have a chance to come meet with me. We'd have these meetings and say, come on in and let's talk and hear what you got to say. And, and let's, uh, let's, you know, tell me about the school. And, and, uh, there was always in those meetings, you'd find somebody who's doing what I'm going to describe. And one of them I'll never forget is someone who just kept shaking his head. No, the whole time I'm talking, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm not even talking about like, I've got these plans or something. I said, that's not how I worked. You know, it's like, I'm just talking about something. He just, he did not want to listen to me. And I'm like, <laughs> and what's sad is that my brain is going, you know, right now I, I I'm launching you know, 300 nuclear missiles straight at that seat right over there. <laughs> and, uh, and how do I stop from doing that and uh, figure out what's going on in his mind that he's shaking his head? No. And, and in the case of this staff member, he just, he, he was worried that uh, I was going to come in and say, this is, you know, we're going to do these things and this is how we're going to do it. And like I said, that's not how I work, but that's it. Cause we right, have a chance to talk. Because right. maybe they've had that happen before so sometimes it's put people in groups, walk around and say, okay, what, what is your big, I can tell you've got a concern and I want to meet that concern. Can you tell me? But one of the challenges is uh, because you may have somebody out there who's going, you know what, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm going to let them say their piece and ignore them. Here's the challenge with that. One, other teachers disengage because they don't want to hear it or two, other people become convinced they're right. So you can't afford to just ignore it. Right. Um, you know, so you really do, you know what, I can appreciate that that's an issue. Let's put that on the parking lot. And what I want to do is, you know what, let's, let's do this. Let's do what we do with kids. For every objection, we need to talk about three positive options. And, you know, again, it's the whole distracting off, getting the attention off them. Um, and, and making that happen and putting it on a parking lot, having them write it down. That's what we do with kids, you know, when they're being distracting and honestly, don't hate me for saying this, but in many ways, teachers are like kids. Uh, and so some of the strategies work. Very much so. Very much so. That's funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, and it's, it's so important though, to have ideas about how to work with it. So you don't end up coming up with something, um, you know, like the 300, nuclear missiles that you launched, which simply come out like, you know, the good thing is I never said to him, sir, would you stop shaking your head? Right. <laughs> I don't even know your name, but stop shaking your head. You know, that, that would have accomplished a whole lot. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and one of the other things that I would say, and, and you can do this in a chat, you can do this by uh, having them uh, give you anonymous feedback in advance, or they can email you um, is, going ahead and having them give you their objections. You know, what are you most concerned about? Uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge? And then I address those throughout. You know, uh, somebody said their biggest challenge is they're really 
concerned that I'm going to come in and just tell everybody what to do. You need to know that's not how it works. Let me just real quickly, because we're going to be talking, but let me real quickly tell you how it works. The first thing I do is ask for opinions. Uh, the second thing I do is look for patterns with those opinions. The third thing I do is ask for individual feedback and I address those individual feedback pieces. And then I draft some optional suggestions for you to look. I mean, you know, you, you get those things ahead of time and it, um, it lets you be upfront and hopefully diffuse some of what's there. Now, again, you got some people, I don't care what you do, they are going to be a problem. But these are some ways to try to minimize that. I like that. I like that. So, uh, you know, that, that brings us to, because if you're dealing with, uh, you know, trying to create a sense of urgency and, uh, uh, and you've got to address the, the difficult staff members or naysayers, well, one of the things you're trying to do is get to something you talk about, which is create a shared vision of what remote learning is all about. Uh, let's, let's go there for a minute. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the challenges is that um, everybody has a different idea of what remote learning ought to look like. Uh, it should be, and take this with parents too, okay, so not just yes. teachers. Uh, okay, remote learning is from 8 to 3.30, the teacher's in front of the computer, and my kids are supposed to be in front of the computer doing something. Well, we know that's not the most effective thing, so we've got to get that out there, that that's not part of our shared vision. So, first of all, you got to get teachers on board with what that shared vision looks like. Uh, so, does it include synchronous and asynchronous? Um, if so, what does that look like? Uh, what does it include in terms of the kind of work students are doing on their own? Does that include partners? Um, you know, what kinds of things uh, do parents need to be involved in or families need to be involved in? So what does it look like? And one of my favorite uh, ways to do that is to have teachers write a letter. So it's the, you know, it's the end of the pandemic. <laughs> sometimes I do the end of the year. It's the end of the pandemic and you're looking back and remote learning turned out to be far better than you expected it to be. It may have started out rough, but it got a lot better. What happened? What did you do? What happened with your students? You know, how did it look? And then you have them sharing letters with each other. So you can have them all posted on a shared bulletin board. You can have them email it to each other if you want to do old school. Uh, you can have them read it out loud over a meeting. You know, you can have them do it with their grade levels and then come to a big meeting. So you have them share it and what you look for are the patterns. So, okay, one of the things that I hear you all saying, and hopefully you can get it ahead of time so you can do this. What I hear all of you saying is that it's not being in front of the computer all the time. And you're right, there's nothing in best practices that says that's the way to do it. But what I also hear you saying is that you do need to be in front of the camera some. Okay. Uh, what I also heard you saying was what made it successful was that you did find successful ways to work with families. Okay. So we're gonna to need to talk about that. We're building the patterns so we can figure it out. So you come up with maybe five patterns and then you say, okay, um, we gotta figure this out. So what we're going to do is we're going to do five groups, one for each of these, and we're going to get you going so that you can figure out what it needs to look like for us. And it may be different for different grade levels. It may be the same. It may be some suggestions. You're going to give us a broad framework, but you're going to figure it out and come back and share out. 
And by the way, one of the things you're gonna to wanna to do in each group is contact everybody else and see if they've got any good ideas so that we're really working from this. And so I begin to build a shared vision that way because they come back together and share, we talk about what that looks like, how could we do that? So it takes a little bit of time um, and you, I mean, there may not be five. Okay. You may say, we're going to start with one and have subject areas meet, and then we're going to come back together or have teams meet. And then we're going to come back together. Um, but the goal is to try to look for some commonalities of what teachers think is good. And that also may include you providing, and some of this is professional development, you providing, um, some examples, you know, here's some articles about what other places are doing. So let's split up and let's read some different articles. So there's lots of ways that you can provide information. Um, I like the ownership on teachers. So if my group uh, is doing equity, then one thing we're supposed to do is check in with other teachers in our building to see what they're doing that works. Um, we also need to check in with our district and see if we know any other teachers in the district who've got some ideas. And we also need to see if there's any information out there. And that's what we're gonna use as a team to be able to report back. Uh, so again, you're really helping the teachers build that because they may come back and say, um, one of the things that we're really finding out across the board is that we need to think about equity in a broader perspective. Because for example, we may have gifted students who like the structure of a classroom who are struggling. And that's not typically who you think about from an equity perspective. No, you're right. It makes perfect sense what you're saying. I mean, that's just, that makes perfect sense. That's, and, uh, and they would typically be excluded probably from that conversation. Right. And, and again, that may not be your most urgent thing. I mean, I think all students are urgent. It's hard to prioritize, but if that's coming from the teachers, that's better than if I say we need to look at gifted students because I got some teachers going, hey, I don't have gifted students. And how dare you say gifted students need help as much as my struggling students do. So you don't want it coming from you. You want it coming from them. Now, one of the ways you can do that is by going to a group and saying or, or talking with a group and saying, you know, this may not help you at all. But, but a friend of mine sent me this article and it might be interesting. So, and I always do, a friend of mine sent me this article because it's not you're giving it to them. Gotcha. It's somebody sent it to me, and so I'm sharing it. Which is awesome because that, you're right. It, does, it, it becomes not, it's not really attached to you then. Right. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, you get into in here is that the school leader has to pay attention to nurturing the school culture. And, you know, and I don't, I, I wonder if, you know, dealing with this remote world, if that's kind of slipped the mind of some of them. And I wonder if you could talk just to that a little bit. Well, it may have slipped their mind because it isn't as urgent, but um, the truth is <laughs> it's even more important because the culture is not what we say it is. The culture is how it is. And so if we say, you know what, our school is really collaborative. We've got very much a family relationship. Well, you know what, when you switched to remote learning, there's a chance that went away because I don't get to just walk down the hall and say, hey, to somebody. Uh, if it's somebody's birthday, we don't get to do a cake um, because we don't think about doing a virtual cake. 
uh, if somebody uh, has COVID, it's difficult for us to provide food for the family, you know, because a lot of those things happen in a culture that's very family oriented. So it, it's about the nuts and bolts of what happens. It's about, is everybody talking about the negatives versus the positives? Uh, you know, what is happening with our culture? Because if the culture reflects who we are as a school, that reflects how we do things as a school. And so just a couple of quick tips is I recommend, and I recommend these things if you're on site, okay? So these are not new. I, I, I passionately believe remote learning is not about throwing everything out and starting over. Remote learning is about taking what you did that worked and then making it work with remote learning. So I'm just absolutely passionate about that. So these two are gonna reflect that. So the first one is that when teachers do small group meetings, grade level, team, departmental, whatever you got going on. Uh, what I want is for them to start every meeting by everybody sharing one thing that is positive. Because otherwise they come in and go, you're not gonna believe this happened to me today. My internet went out. Oh, well, I can top that. You know, I had so-and-so and he, you know, he got up and, you know, he went to the bathroom and the door was open and we could see him, you know? Uh, so they start trying to top each other with negative stories. So what you want to do is start with positive stories because that shifts the climate. And that may mean you need to be in some meetings to help make that happen um, or assistant principal or whoever, you know, instructional uh, coach, but really shifting that focus. And again, you can do that in the physical classroom because the same issue exists. The other one, and it, this is probably one of my most popular ideas that principals like, is something called name it, claim it, and explain it. And my guess is, Steve, when we've talked about one of my other leadership books, we've talked about this. So uh, what it is in the physical classroom is, as you are wandering around or doing observations or whatever, uh, you see something going on that's good. Uh, and it can be small, doesn't need to be big. Snap a picture of it, take a video of it. And uh, at the next faculty meeting, you stand up. That's what's on the screen first before you do anything, including announcements, you say, hey, this is a great example of what we're trying to work on. And I want whoever it belongs to to name it and claim it and then explain it to the rest of, it, of us. Now, you've told them you're gonna do this, okay? So they're ready for it. Um, and what happens is you are highlighting best practices. All right, so how do you do that in a virtual setting? Maybe you take a screenshot, but maybe you just describe what you saw and you send, well, let's do old school. You send out an email to everybody that says, I saw this in one of the remote learning classrooms and you know what, they were doing this and it really engaged students and I just thought it was great. Whoever this belongs to, hit reply all, name it and claim it as yours and explain to us what you were doing. So it's a great way to shift the climate to something positive because honest to goodness right now, the more positive you do, the better off you are because everybody is frustrated with remote learning. So you wanna celebrate what is going right and you can do that with remote learning. So those are the kinds of things that let you redirect your climate back to something positive. So I hope those two really practical examples will help. I think so very much. I, I just think it's, it's necessary and, and so easily forgotten as you're dealing with all the other stuff, kind of like a triage of things happening here in the, in the on. And, and then, uh, um, and this kind of gets pushed in the back and it's very important. And I, I like the fact that you've addressed that. The, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, 
definitely happens along the way and that we learned a lot about um, starting just a little bit ago was uh, that the teachers need support and uh, in this remote world and the school leader needs to find time to figure out what type of support they need. Can you address that some? Yeah. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about new teachers, but this is true for all teachers uh, that they need support. And I think sometimes we take our general support for granted because one of the ways we support teachers is we see them at the mailbox, we see them in the hall. If they've got a concern, they can talk to us. That doesn't happen really with remote learning because you have to be more intentional. Uh, if I'm a teacher, I have to find a way to communicate with you. And sometimes I go, by the time I get to you, this is really over, so I'm just not gonna worry about it. So there are some things you can do. The first one is one that I think is just critical and that is setting some boundaries because I hear this over and over again, not just from teachers, but from leaders. They're working 12 and 14 hour days. And that is very frustrating, particularly when they read in the, in the media, oh, teachers aren't doing anything. You know, they're at home and they're really not doing anything. Set some boundaries, you know, okay. Um, you know, maybe you need to do an hour at night for families, but if you do set it at an hour and give them that as office hours and, and that's what you do. Uh, so you set some boundaries on time. I also believe in setting some other boundaries, and this one is going to sound silly, but it is a real issue that came up last year with a teacher. Um, there was a teacher who would, you know, do her work. She was doing her work. It wasn't that, but she would take breaks about every 45 minutes. Well, she was really into plants, and so she would take pictures of her plants and post them on Facebook. Well, so her parents thought she wasn't working hmm. because all through the day she was posting pictures of, of plants. Nice. She was working, but you know, honestly, that probably wasn't the wisest decision because it does send a message. <laughs> so, you know, you want to be a little careful. So set some, set some boundaries like that, you know, just, just be careful with it. Um, another one is <clears throat> setting some ways that we're going to connect with each other. So we're going to connect via email. We're going to connect during video chat, you know, set the different ways, but also set some guidelines as to when to use them. So, you know, if it's not urgent, an email is okay. I, I'm going to check email uh, three times a day. I try to check it at 10 o'clock, one o'clock and four o'clock. And then I also check it right before I go to bed. But that's not always a guarantee if something pops up, but that's what I tend to do. So if you have something that's not urgent, then email me. If you have something that is urgent, text me. So you said, if you're going to work together, let's set up video chats. So you, you use a variety of ways, but you are real clear in what those ways, uh, how you use them and what's appropriate. Because, you know, I get frustrated if I email somebody, and, and unfortunately, the way of the world is today, if you take two days to email me back, that's not good enough. Uh, and I hate that. Okay? <laughs> right, I, do. Right. I hate that we are in a society that does that. <laughs> but that's true. And so, you know, again, if it's urgent, and if you want to text me and say, I just sent you an email and you really need to read it, I do that with a colleague of mine. Because I will send the detail in the email, but she does not check email except maybe once a day. And I will text her and say, I just sent you something. I need you to read it. Well, then she'll get on and read it. 
So I think you need to really balance. And it's also don't text me about anything and everything. You know, if you want to share something really good, just, just share that in an email. Um, making sure that you provide lots of information. And again, some of that's email, but sometimes that can get overwhelming for teachers. So I like if you're using, uh, you know, WebEx uh, or if you're using Canva, then doing a video message and it's always in the same place. They always know where to look for it. And it may be instructional things. But it may be things like, I just want to give you a COVID update because you're getting a lot of information through the media and I want to make sure that you're getting what we know in our district. Uh, that's a big deal right now in North Carolina because um, teachers were not in the first two groups for getting vaccines. They were in group three. So we're, we, we are not totally at group three yet, but the governor has said beginning February 24th, teachers can be vaccinated. Well, that's great. That sounds wonderful if you're a teacher, but here's the issue. Counties are not doing it that way necessarily. Some of them, like the county next door to me, is earmarking a certain number of vaccines. Nowhere near enough, but they are earmarking some. County I live in says you're behind the line with everybody else. So I need to hear from you what is happening. And so making sure you're providing the right information is really critical. What an awesome point. I mean, that's, and it's a great example with uh, what's going on with the, the vaccines because it's, it's so different. It's so different in different places. So, you know, it, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I think that, you know, in providing support, one of the things I think we have to come up with is there's so many things going on in the leader's world that I, I think sometimes we, you know, it's in a regular world without, the remote stuff, it, it's easy to, to forget that you have staff members, that they have, they, they have needs and you need to monitor them to see if they're doing all right. Are they really, are they, you know, like your teenager who's saying, yeah, I'm good, dad, you know, <laughs> um, and instead they're not and, uh, uh, and they're drowning or things aren't working out quite right. You know, it's funny, I had a, um, and then one of the other things is just the emotional sorts of interactions that right. might be happening or not happening because they're kind of getting overwhelmed. They're not having the for what for what it's worth they're not really having the the type of contact that uh, they they might crave or or want um that helps them drive the class you know it's it's funny i interviewed a a magician not too long ago whose whole world changed because of covid because he was used to doing all these presentations in front of you know hundreds and thousands of of kids and and adults and uh, you know one of the things he talked about was how difficult it was in the switch that you had to you're talking to silence. <laughs> right. And so you don't get the oohs and ahs and things like this. And you have to kind of figure out um, how to deal with that in your own mind. And I, and I think in our own world as a teacher, some of that happens also, you know, you, you're, you're kind of like, uh, hello, <laughs> hello, yeah. that was funny. Okay. We, <laughs> can you respond to me? Or, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, there's a kind of like a little controversy over the kids being able to turn their, their camera on and off. <laughs> which, you know, are they there or are they not there? And uh, um, so uh, all that generates some need for, you know, some support and ideas and thoughts and so forth. So anyway. Yeah, and I want to uh, I wanna uh, say something else about communicating, but I want to hit this issue about screens on or off because it's easy to say they just don't want to be on, um, those kinds of things. But 
one of the things that I have heard from multiple teachers is because they would push to get them to turn their cameras on. And I heard this from high school, lower grades didn't know how to really explain it. But what would happen is they weren't from a home that was, they were ashamed of their homes. So they didn't want the camera on because they didn't want all their middle-class classmates to see what was in their home. And that's an equity issue. Yeah. So we've got to figure out some things like that. So maybe that's a teaching them how to put up their own background. Uh, but I think we have to recognize that there are cases where it's not, they just don't want to be seen because they want to do five other things. So I, I want to make that point because I think that's important. Now, the other thing I wanted to say going back to communication is this. I think sometimes the best thing we can do is pick up the phone and call somebody <laughs> because I can't tell you the number of people, and you mentioned this earlier, who have Zoom fatigue. There you go. That's the word I was have, looking for. Yeah. They have technology fatigue. They're in front of the computer all day. The last thing they want to do is sit in front of the computer and talk to you. But talking on the phone is different. Right. And uh, so I think sometimes we overlook, you know, the old school kinds of communication. And, and I got to tell you, if I was a principal of school right now, I probably would write some notes and put them in the mail. <laughs> because <laughs> they get something that's positive. They can stick it up somewhere that they can see it. I, I just think with remote learning, it, it is okay to do some old school things. I like that. That's cool. That's a good thought. You know, you do some of that type of stuff and they wouldn't be expecting it at all because they're, right. they're used to just all this electronic <laughs> communication stuff that after a while just totally gets, you know, hey, you know, there's, there's a great episode of the Jetsons from a long time ago where George gets his, his all he does is push buttons. All, he pushes one button all day long and uh, he gets this finger cramp that won't go away. <laughs> and I think we're kind of on that planet right now where we're getting this this brain cramp over the, you know, the zoom fatigue or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, um, and having some old school communication would be awesome. <laughs> yes. I like that. So, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you talk about is that, uh, um, teachers hired in this remote world create some, might have some special challenges. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that is so important and we know this is so important with teachers uh, particularly new teachers, is that they connect to current people, whether it is just building friendships, uh, getting some mentoring, getting that informal mentoring of you're in the hall and you say this didn't work and somebody says, oh, why don't you try this? You know, there's, there's all of that. And so that is really, really difficult. And so <clears throat> a couple of things that I think honest to goodness, they're true for everybody, but particularly new teachers, is to help them establish personal connections. So introducing them in uh, a video meeting, uh, finding some ways to connect them with smaller groups, uh, having other teachers uh, video a short welcome to the school and post it on Flipgrid. Uh, so doing some things like that. Part of that is, just like we do in a school, assign a mentor or a coach and make sure the mentor or coach knows multiple ways to get in touch, help frame what that looks like. Because you may have a mentor or coach who doesn't know, how do I change that? So, you know, we've got to, we've got to look at that. Uh, making sure 
that in addition to having a mentor who's probably focused on instruction, and again, I would tell you this is true for everybody, you need to make sure they've got some IT support. Now, if I'm hiring a fresh out of school college student, they may not need that as much, but you're gonna have some teachers who this is different, and it probably is even for college students, and they need support just on the technical piece. I mean, I gotta tell you, if, if I was in charge of the world and had money, I would put an IT coach in every school whose sole job would be to work with teachers on IT, not just troubleshooting, but also looking for ways for them to do things so that if a teacher wants to do debates, they're able to come back and say, here's two platforms that are free that you can do that on. So I, I'm a big fan of that. I just know we don't have budget for it, but that's what I would do if I was in charge of the world. But you may find that some of your new teachers need that IT support. It may be they need IT support in, in learning the district platform. So you've got that. Uh, again, we talked about this, having the virtual celebrations and recognitions, and then for all teachers, but particularly new teachers, is finding ways to encourage wellness. I know when I was a first year teacher, I would come home, I would work all day, I would come home and work until 8.30 at night, and then I'd go to bed, I'd get up and go to school at seven the next morning, I'd work all day, I'd do the same thing. And on weekends, I would grab a few hours to do what planning I had to do, and then I would go to sleep for the rest of the weekend because I was so tired. Nobody said to me, you need to not do that. <laughs> you know, nobody said that to me. And so I do, and I know I talk to a lot of first year teachers. They're, they're not eating healthy. You know, they're just grabbing junk food because they're too busy. You know, that's a little easier not to do because you're in the house. But, you know, are you finding time for exercise? Yes, it is okay for you to not work the whole time. So I think those kinds of things are particularly true for new teachers. Again, I'd tell you, you've probably got some experienced teachers who need to hear that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, you know, when I read this part of your book, one of the things that it made me think about was because right now I'm in the middle of trying to help school system, school systems that I work with, uh, figure out how to hire new teachers and, uh, and lots of the colleges are using these different online virtual systems and it's the strangest thing to think that you could literally be hired. You could do it. You could meet virtually, be hired virtually, um, have a welcome to the school system virtual meeting, welcome to the school from your principal meeting, and never actually be in the presence of somebody and start teaching virtually. And, and that would be so surreal, <laughs> kind of like or some strange... Uh, episode of the twilight zone here and uh, you know a big part of to me a big part of teaching is is those relationships that you develop with everybody it's not just with you know with the kids that you're trying to connect with it's also with your colleagues and the possible resources for helping you and such so it's just interesting you made me just i started thinking about all that uh, as we're working I, i've met a lot of <laughs> really great young people on uh, online but i'm not sure they're real are they real <laughs> Well, and I was trying to find the section and I'm not finding it. We do have a couple of pages in the book on hiring somebody remotely, which, which has some interesting information in it. So we don't have time to talk about it, but that is in the book. And hopefully I'll find it and can give you page numbers before we finish. I like that because that, uh, you know, we do need some help there because this is, it's just a different, <laughs> it's just a different world. And to be a kid, you know, doing these interviews, I mean, what a strange place because you got to it's a it's a whole different i i did some mock 
inter- I, I was the interviewer doing mock interviews with some students from one of the colleges. And, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, you give them, they were asking you to give them some advice after they went through the interview with you. And some of you got to remind them that you're talking to me. Don't, you, you know, you want your head bopping all over around, looking around your room <laughs> and stuff like this. Where do you look and what do you do? And anyway, just fascinating. So yeah, if you find those page numbers, let's. let's yeah, I, I know it's in there. There's just a short section. I'm just not seeing it right now. Not a problem. I, let's, uh, uh, how about let's uh, move forward and uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you've mentioned the equity um, and there's, there's many different equity challenges. I mean, like you talked about even the possibility that the reason why the kids don't want their camera on is because they're embarrassed by what someone may see or who someone might see. Um, can, can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, the, some of those challenges that a, a leader is going to face and have to address in this remote world, uh, you know, maybe make how to make some of these not seem so insurmountable <laughs> i don't know that i can make them not seem insurmountable <laughs> you know we've talked we have talked about some of them, the access to the right equipment and internet and those kinds of things uh and i do think like access to internet is a bigger issue than one school so there are schools and states that have found interesting ways to do it again i know that in north carolina last year um because they had more time to deal with it for this year but they partnered with a couple of really big uh, players. They partnered with Duke Energy, which is our power company, and Spectrum Cable, which is our you know, cable internet company. And what they did was they donated money to put hotspots in school buses. And some of the places just drove the school buses around. Now here's the equity issue. If you're doing live instruction, where's the hotspot? If it's got to drive to four places. So you got to think about that. But the other thing I thought was neat was there were school districts that had the hotspots and the buses. So when they delivered school lunch, that was your hotspot. And so they were able to double up because they didn't have the personnel or the money to do both. But when they combined them, they could do it. Now, again, you got the equity issue of live. And, and one of the real issues with equity is if you're going to provide live, what are you going to provide for those who can't do that? You know, how are you going to do that? I mean, I read about one mother. She was driving her kids at nine o'clock at night when she got home from work. She was driving them to the local McDonald's and sitting in the parking lot because that was the internet access they could get. I got to tell you, that isn't equitable. That just is. Yes. Okay. You got <laughs> that right. You got that right. Um, I, I think one of the other ones, and we think about, for example, what are we going to do with students with disabilities or English learners? I think we think about some of those specialized groups. What we don't think about is all students needing support with social emotional learning. So how are we doing that? How are we connecting them with each other? Um, I've got a friend uh, I already mentioned her, her second grader. <clears throat> His biggest challenge is <clears throat> he doesn't get to play with other kids. Mm. And so are there ways that we can allow students to play? Whether that is high school students get to be in a breakout room and just talk about what they're struggling with or, you know, having some games that students can play on their own time, maybe pairing them up you know, what are some ways to do that? I don't have solutions for all that, but that's a big, big issue. And just the isolation of how do we help with the isolation? Um, 
you know, my friend who's got the second grader. Um, and I talk to her most often because she's my best friend. But one of the things that her son was having was he was really struggling one day and she's a college professor. So she's able to work from home several days a week. So she's there to help him. And he was really frustrated and she was trying to help him. And he just looked at her and yelled, I don't want your help, mommy. I want my teacher's help. <clears throat> and that was what he wanted. So we talked to the teacher and what the teacher now does, she does a couple of short video clips that are posted that are just encouragement. You know what? You may be struggling. And if so, here's what I do. I just stand up and walk away from the computer and I just walk around the room. And if I need to, I get a snack and then I come back and I reread the directions and I try again. So she would have some general encouragement. And then if there was an assignment she knew was struggling, she could put up specific encouragement because that's what some kids want. They don't want to hear it from mom or dad or grandmom or aunt. They want to hear it from their teacher if they're in a hybrid situation, which he was. So I think we have to look at those kinds of things with social and emotional learning. I think that's just so important to recognize because it's, you know, it, one of the things that lends itself to is remembering that people are social and, you know, and it's a big part of uh, what happens in school uh, it, are those social interactions and they crave some of that. And, uh, you know, and this a lot of times just doesn't <laughs> fit the bill when they're, you're not actually feeling like, you know, I was joking about it before, but really I'm not the idea that it feels not real. And, right. uh, and that can be a scary thing that has to be addressed. So uh, um, just some interesting thoughts there. I, I appreciate it. The, you know, one of the things, uh, um, Barbara, I'd like to shift to is uh, you always do such incredible, I mean, it's just a big part of who you are as a writer, that there's going to be all kinds of ways that you're going to make the book practical. You're going to it's going to, it's going to have action steps in it, or it's going to have ideas about where to go find more resources, or it's going to have some sort of activity that the, the reader can have so they better understand what's going on. And, uh, and then this book is no different. I mean, one of the things that I, one of the sections that I love that's in it is you have um, this thing called points to ponder. And I, and I think that a lot of times when people read books and stuff like this, if they're missing the opportunity to talk through with a group or with somebody individually, even, you know, they may get, it may get read, but do they ever use it? And I love the part where you have the points to ponder because you say things like in one of them, it says, you know, what is one action step I would like to take, you know? And so it makes them, you know, kind of rehash what they just read. Uh, could you explain why the reader should take time to ponder? Well, <clears throat> that is for us, the application piece. Um, and you're right, I'm very much into people using the practical information that I give them. And uh, one of the things we've talked about in the past is that when a book actually comes to me in the mail, I do what I call flip test, to just flip through the book and uh, make sure that it looks <laughs> easy to read. So every page, I may have one or two that don't, but pretty much every page has a heading, a box, a table, a graphic, it's always got something. So the information is chunked so that you can read it and absorb it real quickly. And then the points to ponder is, okay, you've read those pieces. Hopefully you've thought about them as you go. So the first question is, how does this apply to your situation? So the first thing you have to, have to do is how do I connect with this? 
and then you go to the key points and the action step. Because honestly, if you don't take an action step, what's the use? Right. But I just know that I, I just love that about your books, uh, Barbara, because you, you do make it actionable because you, you put in parts that, you, like you said, you chunk it and, it, and it, 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 it lends itself to you stopping and thinking about what you just read. And then you ask them to think about what they just read. And that's, that's awesome because a lot of times we don't do that unless we're actually reading with somebody else. So good stuff. You know, uh, Barbara, before we close, uh, if someone wanted to learn more, where would you send them? Uh, I would send them to, uh, other than the book, I would send them to my website, which is barbarablackburnonline.com. And you need to know there's over 100 free resources there. Uh, for you, I would suggest you click Just for, t uh, just for Leaders. And there's uh, a good list of articles there that are just for leaders. Um, the other place, and this is where I always send teachers, is to go to free, which is easy enough to remember. And on there, you can find podcasts, a radio show that I hosted for a year, uh, tons of articles for teachers and that are also good for you, uh, templates from all the teacher books, activity sheets, those kinds of things. So again, there's over a hundred, you have copyright access to use them and you do not have to register. So that's barbarablackburnonline.com or you can Google me at Barbara Blackburn and Rigor and you will find me very quickly. Excellent. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes and uh, we'll have links there. Uh, so one more question. Uh, what is one piece of advice that you would give a school principal about managing their time? Ooh, <laughs> I think that I would say that you will never be 100% effective managing your time. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much you plan, something's going to happen that's going to disrupt you. So I would say to one, really to plan the best you can, because if you don't plan, you're just reactive. So I do think you ought to plan, but I think part of what you ought to plan for is the unexpected and know that something's going to happen. Leave some cushion so that if something happens, you have time for it. Uh, I would leave some cushion every day because with remote learning, stuff pops up every day. And you know what? If you plan for 20 minutes of just free time in case something happens and you don't need it, write your notes to teachers. Okay. You can always find something to do. Like that. I like that a lot. That's cool. That's, uh, you know, uh, Barbara, thank you so much. I, 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 this is great catching up. I, I love your book, Leadership for Remote Learning. Uh, every school leader should be getting a copy, pulling up a big chair, putting off everything else and reading Leadership for Remote Learning Strategies for Success. I mean, ideas for tackling all the challenges that the school leader is facing in this remote world you've put right there. Uh, wishing the very best in all you do. Thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.